I didn't do a lot of prep. You didn't do a lot of prep. We'll make it work, dude. <laughs> personality. We, we, dude, we have 25 man. minutes of material already. We have 25 we minutes of material, some of which is me clearing my throat, some of which is you uh, yeah. talking about things you probably don't want on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of material to go up, but we yeah. can. Uh, it'll put your editing skills to the test. Throw it in there, dude. Episode 7 of the Unwise Index starts now. Uh, I am one half of your host, Akshay, joined by always, joined as always by Monik. <laughs> Episode right, seven, really? Is it we're really gonna, that we're high? Gonna, we're going to do that again. That's right. not good. <laughs> cutting, that out, cutting that out. I can't, I can't fudge the intro. Uh, That's false, what they call flag, false flag. False flag. We keep saying false flag. Um, I remember like it reminds me of this term. I think it was my mom who said it to me first, inauspicious. You know, yeah. It's inauspicious to start on the wrong foot. That, um, yeah, I like that. So we, we always have to make sure that we start on the right foot. Um, I mean, after we start on the right foot, we could go off course, but... Um, you know. Wait, I'm, I'm checking up a, a fact real quick. Ha, did checking Jeb Bush drop out of the race? Or is this a Jeb Bush? Did, I don't think. No, 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 I don't think he dropped out yeah, of the I'm, race, man. I, I just typed in people drop out. Oh no, this is a this is an Onion article. <laughs> <laughs> you tell we did our research this week. I know, right? I mean, people are dropping out of the Democratic. Uh, we, well, only Lincoln Chafee, I think. Jim Webb as well. Did Jim Webb drop out? Yeah. Oh, are you are you reading the Onion still, or are no, you actually dude, quoting CNN. this from com? somewhere? CNN doc. I mean, that's a reputable source. If there was one. Yeah. Um, Jim Webb drops out of the too soon. primary. R.I.P. R.I.P. Man, we got so many R.I.P.s. We got Jim Webb, Lincoln Chafee. Man, it's only two. It's two R.I.P.s. Too too many though. I'm, I'm so glad the Republican side is still chock full though. It is still it is still a rodeo. Like except for Rick Perry and Scott Walker, it's still like completely full. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. All right, episode seven of the Unwise Index starts now. I'm one half of your host, Akshay, joined by always. Monik. Monik. Yeah. <laughs> joined by, why do I have, like, joined as always by Monik. Joined by always. We'll get it. We'll get it. Episode seven, though, man. Lule Lo. Episode seven, that's close to 10. Yeah, I think it must be being across the pond in the, like in a different time zone. I think it's screwing up my brain. Episode seven, we made it to episode seven. We did. We, we did. We survived the episode with Mango. The mangled. We, we, the mangled we episode. left unscathed. It, indeed. And episode seven, man. Seven, eight, nine. Coming up. Seven. Uh, you think the next one's going to be eight. It might not be eight. We're going to skip like, a we, number. We, we like to be uh, unpredictable, just as Donald Trump is. You know, sometimes he's carrying a gun. Sometimes he isn't carrying a gun. Sometimes you know his foreign policy. Sometimes you don't. You just never know with him. You never know. You just never know with um, us either. Also, sorry if you hear Big Ben in the background. I'm, I'm, I apologize for that advance. Oh, you're close to Big uh, Ben? Uh, well, like Reese, like not that close, but it's a it's a loud it's a loud bell. Yeah, Big Ben bongs pretty hard. <laughs> have you been so, visiting places in London? Like, have you gone on any tours or anything? You know, I did a lot of that touristy stuff as a kid, um, and I kind of feel guilty because I haven't done a lot of it like at all since I've started coming here for work. Yeah. Um, and like everyone's always like, "Oh, have you checked out the museum of this or that?" And I'm like, "I think I did like ten years ago," um, and like I kind of feel a little guilty. Like I should be going and doing more of these things, but I haven't really done a lot of touristy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, for me, it's just like eating food, drinking drink, drinking that drink, being merry. Well, everyone has those pictures with the guards. Right? With the guards, I have not taken one of those pictures. That'd be kind of um, fun. I think the recent versions of those I've seen are people like pissing off those guards and them reacting really like violently or like or like angrily, yeah. not violently. Well, what you could do is change that trend, you know, just hit them up with the unwise index, put some headphones on them and they'll start giggling. Yeah, I start like insert <laughs> headphones into their ears. <laughs> like, I'm sure I can't contain well. myself. It's too good. It's too good. It's too good. <laughs> Next level. That's, that's what will happen. Oh, for sure. And 
I'm assuming you're coming at us from New York this week still. Yeah, yeah, still New York. How cold is it in New York right now? You know, it's not too bad. I, I brought out the... Um, I'm wishing it's colder, though, so it could justify me wearing this green Your jacket. Your hobo jacket? The hobo jacket, dude. You know, this is... I've had many great memories in this jacket. I've lost it twice. Someone has stolen it. I found it. I found... <laughs> did I tell you? Remember it this found story? Its, it, it found you. It found its way well, back yeah, to well, you. Well, yeah. Was, I, was, I was raving uh, in Baltimore. And, as one does. As one does. Uh, with a Guy Fox mask. We'll get to get to that in a bit. But I, I left to go to Korean barbecue as... Just as you do when you rave, mm-hmm. you have to go to a Korean barbecue. So our buddy Mango was on the episode, the previous episode. Him and I used to go to these raves, and then we go to Korean barbecue. And then in the Korean barbecue place, I realized I didn't have my jacket. So I like run back to the rave, and I'm like looking. I got flashlights on. I get like a crowd of other ravers searching with me. I got Guardian and Parasite. Those are their those are their rave nicknames. Wait, what? Are these are these are these like rave artists? No, or no, no. These, these ravers. These ravers, like ravers. You Guardian have, and Parasite you have your own rave names. Yeah. So I got Guardian, oh, Parasite, and Thor uh, <laughs> to get their get their iPhone lights on and started looking behind couches, couldn't find it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Then like two months later, I'm walking across campus and I see someone who's wearing my damn jacket. Um, so then I recover this jacket and then I lose it again. I don't know how wait, it Wait, wait, what was the interaction like with the person who you saw wearing the jacket? Were you like, <laughs> that's like a Seinfeld We, we know this. Like, we know jacket? this person, so I'm not going to reveal the name okay. uh, because he... Uh, in my mind, he's a thief. <laughs> but I, I, I don't. Maybe he made a mistake. I don't want to pass any moral judgment well, think, on someone. I think I know who this person is. Yeah, I don't want to pass any moral judgment on someone just in the the off chance they listen to this, <laughs> which they probably won't ever yeah. do. But you never know, man. We're, we're... I don't know if you, if you steal a jacket, if you take a jacket that you know isn't yours. I think moral judgment is sort of due, is it not? Well, maybe he got confused. He claimed that he had a similar type of jacket, but you know, again, right. I don't want to pass moral judgment. He might listen to this because we're getting that exponential growth right now. You never know. Right. It's true. The reality, true. though, is this green jacket, very unique. It was Aeropostale. They discontinued it. You can't find it anywhere. So, like, he must have known. Well, honestly, I can't can't even fault him for it because the jacket's nice. And when you see it's it, it's derelict. It. It's, like Zoo, it's like Zoolander. It's derelict. <laughs> it's derelict, dude. So, so I recovered the jacket. But then I lost it again. I actually don't remember how I lost it. I think it was... I was like drunk or something. I left it somewhere. So that was my own damn fault and I never recovered it. But then like every few weeks I would go on eBay and I'd search green Aeropostale jacket with buttons. And with buttons. With buttons. Because you got it. it um, and I, it never popped up. And then I think senior year or the year after it popped up for like 30 bucks and there was already a bid on it. I'm like, I'm going to outbid this dude. I will even, sell even everything. Even if it takes every last dollar that I have. <laughs> exactly. I ended up outbidding him. I only paid like 40, 43 bucks for it and got it. And uh, and now I have that. So I've been donning that jacket outside, but it's it's not cold enough for And now it. you're accepted back into rave culture because you have the jacket. Exactly, man. There's something about clothing. And this actually is a good segue. There's something Halloween, about clothing. Like, if we ever make if we ever make a fashion brand, can that, can that be the name? There's something about clothing. There's something about clothing, dude. No, because th- what I mean is like when I'm wearing certain things – is that classic advice? Is like when you go take a test, make sure you wear, you look professional, right? Wear a suit, wear a shirt and tie, wear I've slacks. I've never done that. I've never done that either. That's why probably why we didn't fare too yeah, well. Yeah, probably correlated. <laughs> but I think there's truth to that because, like, when I wear this jacket, I am the Uberman. Like, I, I don't, I, I, I can do anything. You defy conventional laws of physics and conventions. Yeah, and, and that's why is... I think a lot of people like Halloween because it gives them the opportunity 
to... Oh, I like that segue. Yeah, it gives them the opportunity to be someone else for a night. Literally put on a mask. You know, if you want to, you know, want to address like eh, in, in kind of odd fashion and, and live that lifestyle, you can do that on Halloween. Yeah. Halloween allows you to literally become any fantastical character that you've, that you've loved, that you want to be. Yeah, I mean, so is there is there sort of a line? Is there like a separation of folks who view Halloween as the as the ability to become someone they want to be versus those who are kind of more tongue in cheek about it and view it as like a way to be a humorous character yeah. or someone like less aspirational? Uh, being less aspirational, humorous, that might be revealing of the individual as well, right? Like, I yeah. choose to be irreverent and goofy on Halloween because I can't do so outside of that day. Um, so I like done like a done. Or is it a defense mechanism? Is it a def- like it probably depends on the person, but like yeah, yeah maybe maybe it's maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. Yeah. Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> what did you do for this Halloween though? Um, this Halloween, I did not dress up. I just hung out with a friend and we got some food and walked around and saw some pretty fun costumes and events going on in Central London. What were some of the weird uh, costumes you saw? Um. You know, the weirdest ones, I, I wouldn't even know the reference. Yeah. It was just like people dressed up as like, it's almost seemed like a throwback. Like, you know, the, so those Assassin's Creed games, you see like how those old like alchemists and stuff used to dress, like with like the bird masks and stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. And like you see some like some crazy retro, like eyes wide shut kind of shit. Um, and like that was pretty crazy. You saw like the st- typical stuff, like people look like they were Harry Potter characters, James yeah. Bond, yeah. like things like that. Any of them actually frighten you? Anything that actually frightened me. Um, like they're always like okay, so it's, there's always people who dress up in costumes that have like actual rep- weaponry associated with them, yeah. and like even though it's Halloween, yeah, like if you see somebody like, walking around with like a submachine gun or I know like, right, a, a, I'm a fearful fake submachine now. gun or like a sword, yeah, um, like you're like, uh, like you know, I'm gonna stay. and they look like and they look very inebriated on top of that. Yeah. You're like, all right, I'm just gonna keep we'll stay a good bit of distance away, yeah, from that someone. Yeah, I saw a couple right. people dressed as well. I saw this one guy uh, in the subway. Uh, who I thought was dressed as a cop, right? Yeah, because he, 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 he just looked like uh, <laughs> the stereotypical cop, right? He had like he was carrying some food. Uh, he was like bald with a stash, like really big and burly. And I'm like, yeah. is this guy co- is his costume or is this real cop? Because like if someone starts like messing with this dude, like he can go poorly very quickly. So that's probably not the best costume to uh, to wear on Halloween. Yeah, that seems like a really bad idea, especially in New York. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was confused. Poor choice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see very many. I mean, I was uh well for for Halloween yesterday. Um, I hey, what did you dress up as? Well, I, I pulled out my Guy Fox mask, and I didn't have any of the other gear, so I just always in season. Always in the season. Guy Fox mask. And uh, well, November fifth is is coming up soon, so totally forgot. Yeah, <laughs> remember, remember, dude. Uh, so I did. I, was wearing, I did remember. I was wearing a Guy Fox mask and a suit, so I was like the modern Guy Fox. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but you know, it looked good. I, I that's the only shit I had, dude. I was lazy, so there you go. It worked. It worked. And it was funny though because I was walking outside and um, people were actually giving me looks, like oh, I was a guy person with a suit with a guy fox mask. And then this one dude, I was walking back at like two a.m. Uh, obviously, at this point in the East Village in, in New York, everyone is pretty inebriated. And I'm walking back, and this guy yells out, "B for Versace, B for Vendetta!" <laughs> like what? B for Versace, dude. Apparently, I was uh, wearing a Versace suit. That's a great. I mean, people thought your suit was Versace. That's little did we know, cold. <laughs> close, close. Yeah, real close. <laughs> Should have been like C few, for Coles. Few letters away from the alphabet, you know. Yeah, close though. Just, just give him that head nod, that like cool guy. Head I did. Nod. I looked back, and I'm like, "Yeah, what's up?" 
What's up? Yeah, you know this is Versace. He does, <laughs> He's just like walk further pot so he can't see color. it's not Versace. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, uh, Halloween in New York is an absolute riot, dude. Because they had um, yeah. this parade. Same in San Francisco. I'm, I'm sad I wasn't back there for that. Yeah. Um, they go crazy. Yeah, I mean, you had these, um, you had this parade going on in Greenwich Village, like a couple of hundred people in costumes. You ha- you had to be in costume to enter the parade, um, so that was kind of kind of interesting. And I, I watched that for a little bit. The, the the tough part though is like everyone is out uh, in this parade, and this area is just swamped. So any bar you go to, any club you go to, it's literally obviously everyone is charging cover because they're, they're making bank on Halloween. But you walk in, and it's you can't move. And it's kind of annoying. So I like I went because like not only are people there, but it's people in costumes that probably take up more space. Exactly. And you, exactly. And it's um, like sorry, you can't sit here. This is for my scythe. And I just don't understand. Like I don't understand why people stayed at these places because like I walked into one of them and you can't move, you can't talk. The music is blaring. Um, it's not even great music. And even if it was good music, it had no room to move. Yeah. And it's like are people like hoping to get lucky at these spots? Like I don't understand the intention or the motivation to stay. So I left almost immediately. Uh, like this is just not not for me. Dis- disillusion yeah. in his Versace suit. He left, and I had uh, yeah the guy the confused guy Fox. So I just I just left and I just started walking around and seeing other people's costumes. There was some there's some good stuff out there, uh, but I don't, I don't know what I prefer. I don't know if I prefer humorous costumes or like scary costumes. So I think the scary costume pays more respects to the genesis of the holiday. Well, I think there's a third, there's a third, there's a middle path, yeah. a third path, not even a middle path, but it's like uh, costumes that are just cool. It's yeah. like, they're not scary. They're not funny, but it's like, like, you know, when I dressed up as Neo for the, from the matrix and I was in sixth oh, grade did? or seventh oh, grade, cool. dude, I did. Um, I that's probably hilarious. wasn't that cool, but I, but I, yeah, I, I, I probably wasn't that cool, but I thought I was that cool. Yeah. Um, like you feel it and like, that's, that's the costume. Exactly. Like, you, I think those are sort of like costumes. the one. Um, yeah, I sort of did. Um, <laughs> I was walking around with a bunch of friends who were dressed up as completely other things. Yeah. So, I know. Uh, if we had like had like a Matrix crew going, that might have been a little bit more awesome. like six sixth grade in Matrix. That's pretty mature for for that age. Sixth or seventh, maybe seventh or eighth. That's like um, super mature for the age, right? I mean, I've always been a little bit mature for my <laughs> age. You <know? laughs> Did you get any like compliments? Like uh, like, who is your Trinity? Yeah. Do you have a Trinity? I didn't have a Trinity, oh, dude. Man. It was all dudes. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, my favorite memory, though, is um, I think it was the year before. So it was, I think this was actually eighth grade. Um, so it was either in sixth or seventh. I dressed up as um, Severus Snape. Oh, nice. Um, and I was just wearing the same Harry Potter rub that my friend was wearing. Yeah. And he was Harry Potter and I was Severus Snape. People thought the two of us were just Harry Potter. Oh. Um, and I had to basically correct every single person that I saw. be like, no, I'm Severus Snape. Yeah. And it was probably like the most... It wasn't disappointing, but it was like the most, it was like the goofiest, like probably least effort costume that I've ever done that like, I was just like, in retrospect, why did I, why did I think it was a good idea to be a Severus Snape? Yeah. Like, why did I think that was a good Man, choice? Man, now this, now this talk of Severus Snape makes me remember him. So misunderstood. R.I.P. Severus. R.I.P. R.I.P. Severus. Man. I thought that, I mean, at the end, I think she brought it together, like the plot points around Severus Snape and like the, the sort of, you know, the sympathetic vibe that he has at the end. But like... I don't know. I felt like the whole like, oh, I switched sides and I switched back and I switched back. It's like, I don't know. Did it for love, man. Yeah, but it's like I was like a double double agent or like a triple yeah. agent, whatever he was. Like, it's kind of confusing. Those plots are all, even if you do it over seven books, it's like a hard thing to get right and to like make feel authentic. Well, there, she's feel. making another book now. Is she? Oh, right. What is this book? Or a play. Sorry, a play. That's the continuation of 
uh, Harry Potter and his son Albus Severus. <laughs> it's like right. the most awful the fan name. fiction ending. Yeah, that last chapter uh, was was pretty awful. <laughs> last book. <laughs> yeah, how many names of characters that died can we put into these kids? Yeah. Um, but what else? Do you remember any other costumes you had when you were growing what up? Other costumes I had. Um, I don't remember a costume of my own, but I remember one year it was one of one of the first years we had uh, my dog, uh, rest in peace, Curly. Yeah. Um, we dressed Curly up as a cowboy. Oh, nice. Um, and I think Curly went along with me when I was Severus Snape. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like this, ri- in retrospect, ridiculous thing where there were two kids dressed up as Harry Potter characters with a cowboy yeah. dog. It would have been hilarious if you uh, dressed Curly up as, like, the three-headed dog in... Oh, um, that would have been great. Yeah, that would have been, been pretty awesome. Unfortunately, the, the the dog costumes that you could find in Cedar Rapids, Iowa were kind of limited. Mm. Um, so I always went for, was, like, really scary... Co- I tried to... Uh, make really scary costumes when I was younger. Oh, yeah. Like, what are some of your highlights? So I never had any characters. I just used to buy... My favorite costume was... I don't remember what year it was, but it was this mask that had a pump with it. Basically had the pump in your pocket, and you could put it... Bring it out and and pump it. And when you would pump, blood would stream from the face. So, like, they had these little things at the top of the mask. Oh, jeez. And you'd pump it, and then blood would come down. Yeah. So I I used to, like, uh, scare people with that. And then after that, it's weird, because, like... When I was younger, I had I liked the scarier costumes, but I never identified strongly enough with a character to like do it. I'm actually honestly pretty jealous of Neo because that sounds yeah. pretty fucking awesome. Uh, but then in like college, I went uh, and did more like goofy and irreverent stuff. Like I don't know if you remember, like freshman year, I was Iron Man, but oh right, I had an ironing board and iron I was carrying with me. It's a special time, a special place. You got some laughs. You got some laughs. Did get some laughs. <laughs> Um, I think the the only costume I've done since, which was uh, since college or like since I think probably middle or high school, um, has been the one that required no effort. Which when we went to our friend Rohan's party, um, oh, and I dressed right. up as the, as as the Mac Mac guy when Chet was yeah. the PC. Our friend Chet was the PC guy, so Chet was in a suit. Yeah. And I was just in my usual hoodie and T-shirt, and I was just like, "I'm the Mac," um, and it required no effort. I forget and what so, I was. I was wearing something. You were wearing a fez. Oh yeah, I was wearing um, a fez. And your usual, your usual clothes. Yeah, it's like, again, no effort. It's just too much effort nowadays, man. Who's got time? Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody one got time. One of the most impressive. Well, apparently people do. One of the yeah, impressive costumes see. I saw was, do you see the uh, Aladdin with the uh, magic carpet? Yeah. I think I linked that to you. That was me that oh, said yeah, that to you. Oh, yeah. So you did see it. <laughs> I did. It was pretty impressive. I was, I was, I was like, wow. Ah, I thought that cool. was awesome. I would totally be Aladdin for Halloween. I saw a bunch um, of Jasmines and Aladdins out last night, dude. Yeah, yeah. Any ones where you're like, do you see like any that actually like were believable? You're like, yeah, these two like they. No, because like on. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of the Jasmines were not of the ethnicity of Jasmine. I'll put it that way. Okay, got so it. it so they were like the dark hair, and it was like this looks weird. Yeah, it wasn't authentic. Like you don't see me dressing up as like I don't know Thor. You don't. You <laughs> like, don't see me in. You don't see me in blackface. Stop dressing up as Jasmine. Yeah, seriously, man. Come on. Yeah, I'm drawing the line right there. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, there's not. Uh, I couldn't think of anything else to dress up as, so Guy Fox it was. I was thinking of doing um, F Society, uh, the, the Mr. Robot oh, right. mask. I couldn't find it in time, so I, I had to bail on that. Yeah, that would have been... I'm. So, did you see any of those out there? No, I didn't see any of those out there, no. Mm, Mr. Robot, already a distant memory yeah. in people's rear view. I saw the classics, like Jokers and stuff like that. that was, there were a yeah. ton of those. R.I.P. Heath Ledger. R.I.P. R.I.P. Heath Ledger. We got a few other RIPs, dude. RIP Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln Chafee. RIP oh, Jim Webb. So these people, okay, disclaimer. These people, aren't, person he killed. these people aren't actually <laughs> dead. We're, they're just not in the race. Yeah, they're not in the race. For people yeah, exactly. out there, they did die. I know. We got to be consistent. Sometimes we use the RIP frame 
as uh, yeah. leaving the race Actual sometimes RIP. actually passing away. Two very different things. Yeah, it's true. Um, up to you to do the research, viewer, listener. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still love uh, Jim Webb's comment uh, at the previous Democratic debate when he was like, I'm going to kill the man. I, it was awesome. I, kill, I killed a man. You can ask him what happened. <laughs> like, or something like that. Yeah. It was like, like, I, was like and like everyone's like, Ugh. like, I think you're <laughs> in the wrong debate. Um, yeah. Uh, but, um, like, like so there, there was like, so I think there was like a, I was reading an article. It's like, how can people who are doing that poorly in the polls for that long, like continue to think they're actually going to win? And some people talked about, which that was an interesting phenomenon, which is the, like the sort of, delusional aspect of being engaged in social media where like all through the night after that debate he was just retweeting followers who were like saying like you won that debate Jim or you showed them you showed them what we should be and like it's like these like five or six followers that he just like get to him and he's like I got this like massive boon of support when it's just like him interacting via Twitter (laughs) with like this small user base limited subset he's looking at yeah but it like you know to our primate brains it's like oh dude Getting that feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not susceptible to that at all on the Unwise Index, yeah. but no, no, no. Um, we're doing real with our four, well, with, like with, our four with our exponential growth. Three hundred views, man. Yeah, is it three hundred? Three hundred views. I I tallied up the sums of all of the ones on on the SoundCloud page, and that did not. <laughs> I was not seeing three hundred. Three hundred total plays. Where is that coming from? Um, I haven't been the best at math. All right, I'm just saying. All right. Like that's what I. That's the number I got. Yeah, I'm not going to fact check us on this. I'm just going to hope <laughs> that that's true. Uh, it's like uh, Ben Carson's tax code. When you add it up. When you add it up, dude. The tithe. It adds up to success. Adds up in God's eyes, <laughs> which is what really matters. But yeah, I mean, in terms of Halloween, though. Mm-hmm. So we talked about costumes. We talked about what we saw. Yeah. But at the crux of it, I think Halloween is kind of a meditation on what we fear the most. Do you agree with that? Like, well, the main question that, I want to like, ask is, what do you fear the most? Like, what are the things you I really f- fear? Okay. So, like, I think it would be interesting if Halloween was, in this day and age, an actual meditation on that. I don't know. If I don't is. know if it is anymore. Yeah, right now like, it's maybe, just like... So, cash- you could argue there's, like, a convoluted uh, explanation in which that's the case, where it's like, we are dressing up as these, like, toothless characters, like, silly characters, because we actually fear, uh, like, dressing up as something more authentic right. or more like aspirational like maybe there's like in the way you dress up there's like a revelation of your fears yeah to some like buried extent i don't know like you could think of something bullshitty like that yeah. um i mean the real reason halloween exists though is for our sponsor ricky's halloween yeah. uh halloween store to make money thanks again ricky's for the the costumes is this an actual is this a place in new york yeah <laughs> okay they have like pop-up stores and spirit halloween as well another sponsor spirit thanks halloween. yeah i mean thank you ricky's <laughs> yeah. uh Always appreciate the patronage. I'm, I'm still disappointed uh, they didn't get me the F Society mask in time, but, you know, I'll let it slide. Let it slide this time. Um, what do I fear the most? Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a deep question, man. Yeah. It just um, got real, dude. Shit just got yeah, real it did. This, this episode. What if Halloween was actually a hol- like a holiday where you just, like, thought about what you feared the most <laughs> yeah. for an entire day? Meditations on death. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, they go to work the next day. Yeah. Uh, fear the most. Um I mean, I'm not going to say I'm above, like, my reptile brain instincts of, like, I fear getting, like, violently, violent, yeah, yeah, violent yeah, yeah, yeah. like, action against me. Um, like, I probably fear that. Like, I probably don't always think about it. But, like, unlike the sort of, like, fear index, like, if that was to become an ex- existential threat, um, I'd probably fear, like, you know, physical harm. Yeah. Um, beyond that, though, I think I, 
I think I fear, and this is this is like a cliche. I mean, this is one question though, I, like do, physical harm. Do you actually yeah. fear death though? Do you actually think of, um, like, do you live life in a way that uh, there's so many variables at play? You could, you know, anyone could die at any time. Is yeah. that something you're thinking about, or do you fear what will happen after? I think you I die? think death is still somewhat of an abstract concept to me. Like yeah. I think like. It, there's certain moments where, like, you almost got hit by a bus because you didn't look the right way when you crossed the street, yeah. which has happened to me in London. Yeah. Uh, and it's like you fear, like, oh, man, like, that was, like, Close call. A, a brush with, like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you weren't actually in danger. But it's like you feel like, okay, I'm really glad, like, that went the way that it did. But, like, I don't, like, I don't have, like, a sort of prolonged, sustained fear, like, at all times or persistent threat of fear about death because it just isn't top of mind, right? Yeah. It's like, for me, it's like, when, when I think about what your greatest fears are, what one's greatest fears are, it's like, what is a persistent threat in, like, your mental processing? Like, what's taking up, like, volume-wise or percentage-wise, like, your mental cycles? Like, what are you thinking about? What are yeah. you ruminating yeah. about? Um, and, like, by and large, it's like, for most of us, it's like stupid shit, right? It's like, you know, the next deliverable or deadline or, like, what this, you know, client or like Short customer or whatever's yeah. going to think. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that by and large in aggregate is like the sum of my, the sum of the majority of my fears is like dumb shit that if I look closely at probably isn't worth being afraid of. Yeah. Really. Um, like really um, like in an, at sort of like an abstract level, it's probably like living an unfulfilled life. Right. 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 It's living a life where it's like. Unfulfilled in what perspective though? Like from the perspective that, of that, 10 years from now, you feel mm-hmm. unfulfilled or. The perception of your life from others deems it as an unfulfilled. That's an life. interesting point. Um, or, yeah, it's like a combination of those things, right? It's like, uh, like it's it's almost like so. There's two threads to it. It's like, can you define what it means to have a fulfilled life? And like, right. there's the fear that you never will, um, and like you'll fall back against like external notions of what it means, and like maybe that that always seems like somewhat hollow, right? Always seems like other people's expectations are not like it. It feels internally dissatisfying to say like that is my that is my metric for what, like, I should be doing. Like, you should get rich. You should do all these it's things. It's based on some other um, person's perception or social capital. So one fear is, like, I will never figure that out and be able to stand confidently, like, on a definition that, like, I feel confident in versus, like, I just feel like it's borrowed from someone else, right? right? Like, it's been imputed upon me by, like, my upbringing or by society or whatever. Because, like, the, even with the word fulfill, it denotes, like, some sort of, like, chamber yeah. that needs to be filled with something. Right, and so maybe the entire definition, like the running one we have, is wrong. Right, right. it's like or it's like it's it's impossible. Right, and, and like so, it's like one, once you find a definition that does work, that is sustainable, it then becomes well, I have the time to actually like live in a way that's that's. And maybe it's moment to moment, but it's like you live in a way that's actually honest to it. Right, right. it's that quote from uh, Immortal Technique. You remember this? Uh, it's like um, hell is not a real place; it's the failure of your life's greatest ambition. Yeah, I mean, then there's like the Neutral Milk Hotel quote, which is, what is it? God is a place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. a state of mind, right? It's yeah. like, can you achieve a place that is, you're like, you're sort of happy about, like, it's like, it's like, it goes back to like the Naval Ravikant podcast that we talked about yeah. in a previous episode. It's like, can you achieve a set of habits in a, like a mental state that is sustainable? Like, he's like, I don't care about something if I can't do it forever. Um, so he's like, can I achieve like a set of habits, a set of like practices, a set of mental orientations and stances that I feel like happy about having and make me feel good that I could just perpetuate as like a machine? Yeah. Um, and he's like, sort of, I'm doing it consistently. And that gets me into a groove where like I feel day to day great. Um, and so like, that's what I think is worth achieving and like failure of being able to get there is I'd say the biggest fear that I so, have. So and that's still abstract. If I, if I could break that down, it's 
your biggest fear is failure of achieving a state Mm. of mind where you're content and quote unquote living in the present moment and not projecting yourself into a future state where you feel you need to fulfill something else. Like you're, you're fine with the current state of affairs. You're fine with the goals you have set or the the goals are kind of irrelevant. What matters is how you feel in the present and you want to get to that mind state and you're worried that you won't get there. I think that's the big one that like sort of a meta level, yeah. but I, you know, when you unpack it a bit, it's like, well, you could just be that way right now. Yeah. Like, why do you have to like, just do, do it. any of Shia LaBeouf, yeah, just do it. Why do you have to do any of the material <laughs> things or like pursue like, you know, this thing or that, like, you know, why do you have to be in like working in tech right. or like, right. it's like, you could just, you could just go into the forest and do it right now. So like the caveat to all of this is like, there's still certain aspects of like, material life that I feel are worth pursuing. It's like, you want to get to the point where you do have, like for me, it's like, you want to have a family, you want to be able to like, you know, have that experience. And so there are certain goals that are like more grounded in like material reality that like are caveats to like, it's like, I want to have that, but also have like the, the sort of lasting contentment, right? Um, So it's like in an unbounded sense, like, yeah, you could just be in the present and be happy right now. But it's like, how do you achieve that how do you achieve that when, without taking a very bold step of living very much outside of society and, and right. leaving your friends, leaving your family, uh, which comes with this whole another right. host of and, and again, that would be contrary to the other goals, which are right. like to, to be part of like to have a family, to like be part of society. You know, even if those goals are not like, you know, like you could argue those goals are time bound. And then like Eastern philosophy, there's like phases of life, right? right? Um, like I still think like, yeah, it's like how do you pursue both of these threads um, in a way that actually allows you to eventually fulfill both of them. Um, I don't know. And like maybe the entire way that I'm setting this up is completely wrong. Um, probably is and to some to some like extent. And I'll probably refactor it over time. Yeah, but like, yeah. yeah, that's sort of the big fear is like you won't do the big moving things you want to do. Um, right. What about you? Turn it on you. I think it's, it's what's, similar. What's your, what's your um, biggest fear? I think my biggest fear is for me, it, for some reason, like I actually don't fear death really at all. Um, what I fear... Is I think what's important to me is legacy, um, and it yeah. might be part of my ego. It might be the idea of perception of legacy, but I think my biggest fear is if I am to leave this uh, corporeal form, right? <laughs> Whatever happens in the afterlife, and we can talk about the afterlife as well. What our views are on yeah. that. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, at that point in time, can I look back and say I internally am proud of what I do- uh, what I have done? and accomplished on my short time here, knowing that the bar for me being proud is already very high. Um, yep. And can I be authentically proud about it? And basically, that the, the point of not being able to say that I am proud of what I've done and I regret certain decisions, that's what I fear the most, is that I will not leave accomplishing what I wanted to do, uh, in a sense. So it, it's, it's a similar <coughs> strain of thought, I think, of what you were talking Excuse about me. as well. Um, but for me, the driving force is really the fear of not leaving the legacy I want to leave. Um, Choked on my water. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let him talk just a little bit longer. Yeah. It's like, you had like a really profound segment there. No, I definitely feel sort of that exigency as well. And I think like the common thread there is like the time box nature of it, right? It's like the the clock is ticking. Right. And are we going to be able to like live something that is, summarily satisfactory by the time like the clock runs out um and it's like it sort of seems like a like a paradox it's like like almost in the back of your head you know like 
I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where it's like, yep, I've checked all the boxes. Now I am content. <laughs> it's like, well, some, something you point to is this, I think part of the strain you're talking about, the idea of work-life balance plays a role, correct? It does. And like, that's part of the, like, it's a tension though. It's like, you kind of want to be great at whatever you devote your time to, but it's like, the like, it's counterbalanced by like, yeah, a desire that is not traditionally viewed as work, which is like family stuff right. or whatever you want to call that. Right. And this is interesting. Another a great quote by this philosopher named Alain de Paton, uh, it basically says, uh, work-life balance is irrelevant because anything worth fighting for unbalances your life. That was a pretty powerful quote. So I, I sometimes view this idea of uh, approaching or fearing not being able to be content, right? It's some, some of the line of thought yeah. you're taking as um, a fear that is will always be, always be realized. Because I'm, I'm not sure that... Um, I'm not sure if that's the goal to be content. Well, I, I you know, I, I take, you know, I, there, there's, there was a time, and I think there is still to a degree, um, a sense to which quotes like that resonate with me. But yeah. like, I also view them as like cop outs. It's like, yeah. yes, <laughs> if like, if you're like a single dude yeah. and like you really want to just work on the thing you want to work on, 110% do exactly what that is. Yeah. But like, if you ever want to have, and again, I view it as a matter of goals and constraints, and like one set of goals can have the other set of goals be a constraint and vice versa. It's like, if you want to get to the point where you're actually doing a life that is not just monolithically one thing, like you're always going, there's always going to be trade-offs involved. And I see that around like some of the people that I work with and like people throughout Silicon Valley. It's like these people want to be, you know, like leaving a legacy, working really hard on hard problems. Like I get all that, but like at some point, a lot of them at a certain age have decided like they want to have a family or do something that's going to subtract time from that. And they have to figure out how to load balance that. Um, And it's a cop out to say like, oh, there's no work-life balance if all you're, you know, it's like. And the terrible thing is if you optimize in one direction, the the, the creeping sense of regret will pop up later in life. Exactly. Right. Because then you realize that maybe the investment you made in the space or wherever your attention was focused for the short period of time wasn't what really mattered because your views might change what really matters. Um, so, like, the, no. the, uh, the ability to yeah. minimize regret is, is so difficult, I feel. That's what Jeff Bezos said about his life. Did you Have you heard this term, the risk minimization framework? Yeah, I've, I've heard Which a little is, bit about it. I don't know much about it. Yeah. That, I mean, that, I don't know how, like, technical it is, but that's his take on how he views how, like, what motivated him to go from investment banking to taking a risk and starting Amazon. Is He's like, I want to think about life when I'm 85, when I look back, yeah. like, what was my, like, what did, what would I have done differently. And I want to like, and he's like, if I can project myself to 85 right now, um, I can think about a lot of those things. And I can think about like a lot of the things I've always wanted to do. And like, did I pursue them or not? And he's like, that's what led me to found Amazon and Blue Origin and all these things. Right. Um, Assuming your 85 year old self holds the same things dear. Holds the same views. So like, it's actually kind of a, yeah, there's that caveat for sure. Um, But it also, um, like, I think the part he doesn't talk about that, you know, he has a family as well. Um, and he has like other constraints besides just his work, which probably takes up by and large most of his time. But like, how does he like in his in that framework? Is he accounting for how much time he wants to spend with family or right. what the trade offs right. are? Like, right. if I had to push that extra ten percent at work, quote unquote work, versus like spending time with my children or whatever, like how does that factor in? Right. Um, and like, so I always think there's yeah, like there's always like complexity that doesn't necessarily reveal itself, especially like in the common sort of mythical tales of the entrepreneur. And like other things that we're both pretty, pretty, you know, sort of immersed in yeah. these days. Yeah, no, yeah, because I think that like even that act of, um, you know, ten percent giving here, it might be construed as an inherently selfish act, right? 
uh, because it's selfish for the individual because they feel that this is what is going to reduce regret where where it's actually inflicting pain on the family that might be depending on that that individual for care and affection um, yeah exactly yeah, so basically like, we nev- can reduce our both of our fears down to existential anxiety about everything <laughs> like yep it's pretty narrow it's pretty pretty much it pretty much it i mean the other actually thing like very physical thing i fear is losing uh my sense of hearing um oh really like one of the most frightening times in my life like uh, was uh I, I think you you might remember this but like in junior year i i couldn't hear like i, I woke up one day and my the left side of my hearing was like almost gone completely couldn't hear anything and I was like really fucking freaking out because one of the few things I enjoy is listening to music and like it's been part of me and we had this music podcast just a few weeks ago but it's been part of my coping strategies and part of my character since since the earliest I can remember honestly Um, I have videos of myself like dancing to Michael Jackson when I'm a toddler (laughs) like music has been a part of my life forever and like when I woke up that day and I couldn't hear my left ear like I was shivering with fear. Luckily, it was just earwax that was impacted in my left ear. So it was all fine when I removed it. But like, I, I remember my mental state at that time frame. Um, and it was like almost like a panic attack. It was very frightening to think that I cannot hear anymore. Um, so now when people like recount stories of panic attacks, like I feel for them because it's not as simple as, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just kind of scared right now. No, you, you, there's a physiological effect your whole body goes into shock um, and you're sweating and your heart is pounding. And it, if there's any way to describe how one might feel at the time of death, like that's a panic attack. Uh, so yeah. that was a pretty interesting experience. No, that's like, I think like that, that is, you know, if you had, again, these are fears that I haven't even put my finger on, but it's like, that would be a huge fear for me too. And um, it extends to the fact that, like you said, um, music is a huge way in which I like cope and also like interpret reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like music is such a huge part of like getting through my day, uh, listening to even podcasts and like other auditory things. Like yeah. if that was completely gone, that would be like a, an incredible loss from my if life. If I could not um, listen to Hotline Bling and I know. watch some dance music, Hotline great, Bling. Man. Where would we be? <laughs> We'd be like- that video, that video was, was like, I only watched it right before this. I know as big of a Drake fan as you think that I am. I only watched it right before this. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching it. That was, that was yeah. a great video because that is, that is some meta, meta shit. That is him knowing how ridiculous that looks and putting it out there and saying, I am on top to the point where this is just going to hang. It's going to be infinite meme generating. And really? It really like, is. And he's still going like, to be winning. You see the one with the, with the tennis racket where he's swinging it back oh, and I've forth? I've seen so many. I saw that one. I've seen one when he's like shaving some dude's head. <laughs> like There's some oh. crazy ones out there. People put a lot of effort into it. He's playing the game, man. Yeah. He's playing the game. I thought that video was great. The song's pretty fun, too. I, I, do. I don't know what it's about. Uh, I just remember the lyrics hotline. I think it's about a girl who used to call him on his cell phone. Oh, right. He used used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when something. I don't even know what he says. When you need my love. Oh, okay. Now it makes sense. The lyrics are not that hard to follow. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so entranced by the dance moves, dude. I was going to say, I know you're new to Drake, but the lyrics are (laughs) not that. You just listen closely. So there's nothing. I don't need to read between, listen to between the lines for this song it's just I don't know if you watch that video though there's some there's some interesting visual exposition going on you might think there's more to it yeah you need to get me a turtleneck like that yeah I mean I, I, people are hating on his dance move it like it, it, the initial reaction was Drake what are you doing 
then it, the reaction was, we're going to make memes out of all of this. And now it's yeah. everywhere. And now it's actually it's everywhere. Like the, the, the video is a top viewed video. So the song is, is more famous now. Um, and like, I mean, I, I, I believe you now when you're, you're stating that, I mean, Drake had the intention for this to become a meme. Uh, and, and so you know more of his backstory, you can uh, pr- provide validity for that. I still felt when I first watched it, I'm like, this dude's feeling the music. He's like grooving and people are I love how you didn't have any ironic interpretation whatsoever. You're like, I like these dance moves. These are great. Yeah, (laughs) It's like, because I felt for that because like people make fun of me when I uh, get in the groove and just do some random dance moves. So disclaimer, when you dance, there should be a disclaimer because like you dance in a way that could actually inflict harm on people in like a (laughs) six foot radius. Well, yeah, I've hit someone by mistake once when dancing and I apologize, but... But Drake, his moves weren't aggressive. They were just like, you know, just jiving out and like... Just feeling just doing it. doing like the stanky leg or something. I don't know what he's doing, but I was digging it. Hotline bling, dude. Hotline bling. Um, you listen to anything new these past couple weeks? Uh, oh, yeah, actually. Uh, again, uh, going back to existential anxiety uh, and how to mm-hmm. reduce it. Um, there's this band that I... Uh, was my actually my favorite album, I think, two years ago. Um, and they have like the most, the most goofiest and pretentious name. It's called the world is a beautiful place and I'm no longer afraid to die. So like really fucking long band name. Um, yep. and they came out on an album called, uh, whenever, if ever two years ago. And the whole album is actually this guy. It, it's kind of emo rock, uh, with like really strong guitars. And he's just talking about all of his fears on the album and he has all of his friends singing along with him, and it's like really rousing. Is he talking or is he singing? It's actually a mix. He actually has a sections of the track where he's just talking, and it's like just poetic uh, lyrics. And then certain other phrases, he has this like rousing lyrics where he's just yelling, and everyone in the um, in the group is yelling with him. And initially, when I heard that album, I was I didn't really enjoy it because I, I thought the lyrics were like a little too whiny. I thought the guy's voice was whiny as well. But on like repeat listens. Whatever, like everyone joined in the chorus. You just listen to something enough, it gets hypnotic. That's true. That's true. But when everyone joined in the chorus, yelling these really like life affirming lyrics, I'm like listening yeah. to the shit in the middle of the night, walking down, uh, walking in New York, and like I, I visualize just like everyone screaming these lyrics that are like disabusing themselves of their fears and just living life. And I thought that was just really powerful. And then he came up with this album hmm. uh, this year um, called, called Harmlessness. Uh, which is really, really fucking good, dude. Like this might. Okay, I'll, I, I'll, I'll bookmark I'm, this. I'm not gonna state it. Uh, it might overtake Death Grips. Oh my goodness! Uh, uh, well, that means you're gonna have to get like nine billion listeners. Know, right? It might. It year. might happen. Uh, it, it really is quite good. Um, so that's that's really all I've been listening to and Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling, yeah, uh, that's a given. Um, so for me, uh, the big new album in the last couple of weeks has been the Neon Indian album. Oh shit! Uh, I got to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, which is. Even the name of the album is so retro 80s that I love it. It is, what is, it's Vega International Night School. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, like, it's just, like, it's literally just something out of his head. Like, he's just, like, <laughs> I, and, like, there's this, um, there's this visual artist named Robert Beattie, I believe is his name, um, who did the cover art, who's the same guy who did the cover art for the uh, Currents album for Tame Impala. Oh, cool. So this is a guy who's been doing a lot of these, like, very authentic looking, like, retro throwback cover arts. Um, love the cover art. Um, I would agree with most reviews that I've read, which is like, this is the Neon Indian album that really encompasses like that sort of aesthetic he's been trying to hone in on over the past album or two, yeah. um, which is like this like arcade, you know, like there's like, there's just songs where like there are glimmers of what he's trying to do, which is really like dial into that like 80s, like synth 
funk thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's like, you're like, this dude like saw a bunch of pictures like I did on Tumblr, which were like super throwback 80s stuff and like, or like 70s stuff and like has been trying to recreate the aesthetic and like just understands it and like that's what's so awesome about yeah. it. Um, and like, uh, you know, there's songs in the past, like I think we both know like Psychic Chasms. Yeah, how do you compare it to is um, like Eric Strada and Psychic Chasms? I think it's better than Eric Strada. Yeah. Um, I, there were a couple songs in Eric Strada which I thought were really good. Uh, ones that were actually like not really even songs like some of the tracks like heart attack yeah. or, like colon yeah. decay and stuff like yeah. that were just like really like i'm like again you're like this guy is getting he's making glancing blows at, at getting close to like honing in on this vibe right, right. but he's still like there's a lot of cruft the song the album's too long yeah. um in this one it feels tighter like there's a couple songs on it called like slumlord um there's one called uh glitzy hive um like it just it feels replete it feels like a fractal of this like it just like it it takes you to that eighty spot, man. Yeah. Um, no, I gotta listen to that. I mean, I, I really dug the uh, the TED talk you shared. Uh, yeah. Um, so basically... yeah, Adam Palomino, yeah. who's the guy who uh, who's who's um, who is Neon Indian in effect, like did this TED talk. I didn't realize he wanted to be a filmmaker, and like music was just sort of the thing that he right. has kind of been doing. But like he views himself as like an eventual filmmaker. It's pretty common though. Like um, there are a lot of famous like very creative artists that either want to get into filmmaking or start as filmmakers, like Omar Rodriguez from the Mars Volta. Uh, oh, of course. Nicholas, the genius. Nicholas Jar. The god. Yeah, the god. Omar Rodriguez Lopez. Uh, <laughs> we'll have a separate podcast just on Mars Volta. I demand it. It has to be okay, done. I will, I will listen to it. <laughs> Fine. So I can describe my er, my early love for them. I haven't listened to them in a bit, but uh, Nicholas Jar, great electronic musician, mm-hmm. also yep. uh, into that stuff as well. So it, it is common. It, but I, I thought the way he described um, the difference between internal versus external influence creativity and the, the perception of the internal auteur of someone just divining everything from the production to the music to the art to the cinematography uh, in one place and we respect that more versus someone who is drawing from the team uh, yeah. and we should actually just put them at the same level because the auteur who's internally driven is literally doing the exact same thing even if they might not uh, consciously are not consciously aware of it i thought that was actually pretty interesting insight yeah, I thought that was I thought one of the lines that really struck out from that presentation, which we can link in the show notes that we'll post. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is like he said, like originality is impossible. Right. Um, right. But like, what's important is to be authentic. So it's like, is what you're mixing together from, and it's going to be derivative to some extent. It's going to be taken from other sources, but it's not. Is it original? It's is it authentic? And like that's the question you should be asking. Right. And I thought that was like sort of an interesting take on like because he was he was talking about that in sort of concert with like his thoughts on like you said the auteur and like this idea that they kind of get this divine inspiration and like you know like and you see that in technology as well like the Steve Jobs right. type right. mythical stories where it's like from his from his mind crafted the iPhone effectively right. and it's like there's always some myth to that a lot of myth in some cases. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, how, like what are they actually doing? And in a lot of cases, they are just like mixing components together, but in a way that resonates like, you know, to some degree with some part of the world. Right. Um, and those mixed and components like, are part of their experience, but that part of the experience that they're mixing from is not original, right? It's... Um, right. But together, like but maybe together, the composite. Yeah, together, it could be authentic and original, yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I was, it made me excited to listen to this album, which is very good. Well, we didn't actually talk about this at the beginning, but what are you drinking? Oh, are you drinking anything? I actually finished my drinks. I had a little bit of Red Me Bull. Me too. A little caffeine action, and then a Brooklyn Red Lager. Bull, is it sugar-free or is it just regular sugar-free. Red Bull? Sugar-free. 
Of course. No, don't get crazy yeah, don't now. Get crazy now. <laughs> I got some Brooklyn Lager. I'm out of the super fruit, so I can't have those buy drinks anymore. I got a oh, no. new order of those. Um, There's a hole in your nutritional know, intake man. this week. I, I've, been, I've been supplementing with some Centrums, two, two Centrums a night now. Oh, great. All right. Then you're all <laughs> yeah, good. Then I'm all good, dude. You're all good. <laughs> um, I have a, nice, a coffee from this nice little coffee place called New Row Coffee in London, which is very good. Mm. Um, it's a flat white, which is, um, I don't know, have you, have you had a flat white before? No. What is that? So flat white is like the... It's like the, what I've heard is like the English version of the latte, which is like it's less milk. So it's like more of a 50-50 ratio between coffee or espresso and milk versus like the American take, which is like 70 to 80% milk and then just like a shot of espresso in there. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, it feels like a stronger a stronger latte, I guess. But like, I don't know, gets, gets you more amped, feels more like coffee and like less milky, huh. which is cool. Yeah, try that out. Yeah, I think Starbucks in their typically hip ways is now offering it. So instead of getting that Akai Berry spritzer, you can, yeah, get, a, exactly. you can get a flat white. Strawberry Akai. Okay, sorry. My Kai. bad. No. <laughs> I mean, we covered we covered, we covered a lot, a lot this episode. We covered, we covered our greatest fears, which in itself. Greatest fears. It's like we're putting, that, we're putting that happiness. out there. So we gotta, it's got to yeah. strive towards companionship, family. Hashtag, what is, that, what is that full band name? Hashtag the world is a beautiful place. Hashtag, no the, afraid yeah, to die. hashtag the world is a beautiful place. I'm no longer afraid to die. It's such a, it's such a great name. Uh, that is a great name. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's the journey we're all going at is uh, figuring out where do we fit in this You're crazy just trying world? to stay caffeinated or inebriated. Just long, long enough. enough to be, happy. To like, just long be enough. all right. To, to get you to the next one. Distract me long enough. So I don't face the truth, right? (laughs) I mean, that was the dream of cyberspace. Yeah. That's what VR and all these things are going to bring us. It's like, give me the ultimate zone out. All right. Well, on that, on that optimism, (laughs) I think we're good. Episode seven on lock. Episode seven on lock, dude.